the way we work is a podcast brought to you by Alexander Daniels Global, your recruitment partner in the additive manufacturing industry. My name is Julia Opria and I'm your host in this podcast. I'm also the director of Europe at AD Global. We are committed to helping this industry grow and our contribution to the industry is talent. We talk to high potential professionals on a daily basis and with this podcast we want to bring to you their stories, their challenges, and their approach to unknown territories. We hope you enjoy. What do you think is the biggest surprise for you in this year's salary survey? Because obviously we have data since 2017. And in this survey, you can also see the comparison, how everything has changed, both on the job seeker and the job offerer or employer side. But I was curious to know, what is it that you were mostly surprised of in this year's salary survey? Because I know a lot of things changed compared to the previous years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, I don't think it's something that I'm mostly surprised about. But, but I think what the data shows us is that across the board, within most disciplines um, and most levels, salaries have gone down mm. and I think that that's quite an important uh, factor to consider and I think what's difficult to know mm. at this sort of time is how big an impact COVID for example and the pandemic has had on salaries um, versus whether that is a trend we saw, for example, in the salary survey that we released at the beginning of 2020, that there were some segments where salaries were, you know, reduced. The average salaries, I should point out here, um, where salaries had been reduced, but um, not as much as this year. So I think what is interesting is to see, OK, how does it look next year? Um, you know, when, when we get to 2022, hopefully we're through the worst of the pandemic and the jobs market is really back, uh, you know, it's kind of level that it was pre-pandemic. Uh, I think that will be a bigger indicator of the impact of COVID or a more general trend towards normalization of salaries within the mm -hmm. manufacturing industry. Mm -hmm. But I think it's uh, also a, a tricky one because, um, I mean, this year we had the most participants ever in all on both sides, which shows that there's clearly a need to communicate like what's going on with me or with us. Um, and I think the salary, the, the, the salary thing is, is can be a bit tricky because from what, what I notice in, in speaking with candidates and clients as well is that um, you might risk losing a good candidate if you pay them a low salary now when you know that they're worth much more. Mm. And that's and the thing. Got, yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah, I was going to say, we, we, we have got evidence of some clients doing that. And it's definitely not something that we would advise. I think... You know, if we go back to sort of September, you know, last year, when, you know, you had a lot of people um, in the industry who'd been laid off, you know, you, you look at Stratasys, 3D Systems, EOS, 
you know, the bigger names in the industry that went through some significant layoffs. And for the first time in my career in additive manufacturing, we had, you know, um, what I would call unemployment, you know, and, and, yeah. and I, I yeah, use yeah. that term because I think up until that point, you had virtually full employment, um, near 100% employment. If you were an experienced professional in additive manufacturing, you were not looking for a job for very long. If you wanted a job, you could find a job pretty easily. And I think that that dynamic definitely changed at a point last year. And we, we sort of saw that in some analysis that we did um, around August time last year, comparing the you know uh, available and interested candidates looking for work with the number of jobs. You know, and we, we yeah. saw that year on year there'd been you know, over 60% reduction in um, the number of jobs being advertised, but in some cases, you know, over 80% increase in candidates looking for work. So I think employers saw that as a sign that, you know, actually maybe they had more of the power and um, they could perhaps dictate a little bit Mm. the terms and conditions of employment where in the past they've been dictated to by the market. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can point to a couple of examples that we saw of companies, you know, hiring people on salaries that were 20 or even 30,000 lower than what the candidate might have been earning, you know, pre-pandemic. But, you know, those candidates needed to work and, and um, needed a job. And, you know, it, uh, it, it made sense for them. To, to, to take those jobs so the, the risk there for the employer on that is that you know when the market improves um, and jobs become more freely available which they will yeah um, those individuals heads will be turned by jobs that are paying more realistic salaries uh, than they currently have so I think employers you know might benefit in the short term but will certainly um, lose out in the long term um, if look after their employees. Yeah, and and it's also interesting to note uh, whether there is awareness within the businesses of the whole cost of hiring and the cost of uh, investing this time and then losing a person and then starting all over again. Mm. So there are these hidden costs which um, which I'm from experience, I see that many, many HR professionals are now taking into considerations. And also someone who might be reading the, the latest report right now could think, oh, great, more candidates. Now I can pick and choose the right ones. But mm-hmm. again, it's, it's a tricky one because you might just have more admin work, but in reality, you, you're not necessarily going to find the right person because they are still the ones who are being um, sought after or searched for by, um, by, by great companies or that have a really, really strong network and already a year before they make a move or half a year before they make a move, they start pulling those strings and um, trying to look around. I I think that, um, you know, I, I think it's a strange market that we find ourselves in and, and, you know, one that is unique to me, you know, like I said, with six years of recruiting in additive manufacturing, you know, and, and, um, you know, 
sort of 17 years of, of recruitment in general um wow. you know, <laughs> yeah i know don't it, that sort of ages me it makes me feel old saying that but um what uh you know what what i see in this is, is a really kind of weird market dynamic because actually if employers come to us um, to identify talent, it, it, it's sometimes because they've already tried themselves and have failed mm. to find the right people. Um, and, and, and it isn't still easy to go and get good talent, you know. So while we saw, you know, significant shifts in the ratios of, you know, candidates actively looking for work versus jobs in the second half of last year, um, those numbers are still, you know, relatively speaking, um, quite low. And, you know, we don't see now, and, and, and I think we are through the worst of the crisis from an employment standpoint, and, and we are rapidly exiting, um, you know, and, and I can say from our experience that, you know, uh, towards the end of last year, November, December, you know, we were yeah. very, very busy and, and actually, at the start of this year, midway through February, you know, we have more jobs on than, you know, we've had, you know, for a very long time. And in fact, I'd, I'd argue that actually we're busier than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. So I, I think companies are coming out of this crisis very, very fast. And the availability of candidates is reducing very quickly. So in some segments of the market, the challenge of hiring never stopped, even through the pandemic. You know, I think I mentioned this in the um, in the salary survey, you know, areas like software, controls, engineering, you know, these were really, really sought after skills. They never they, they never got released by companies. There was no, you know, excess mm. talent in the market and there still isn't. So, you know, demand for that talent never went away. The scarcity never went away. In areas like perhaps sales, applications, to a lesser extent, service engineering, maybe we did see some candidates coming into the market. But mm -hmm. now that the market's starting to rebound, investor confidence is really high within the industry. Um, those professionals are being snapped up by businesses who want to take advantage of the rebound. Yeah. So, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think uh, it would be foolish of a company to think it's going to be easy to hire. And you talk about the hidden cost of hiring, you know, probably one of the biggest hidden costs is an opportunity cost. And, and, and what yeah. I mean by that is, okay, if you spend six months trying to find someone um, uh, because you're looking for this unicorn that may not exist anyway, um, that's six months of potentially lost uh, either revenue if they're a salesperson or, you know, uh, advancement in your product development if they're in R&D, um, that you can't tangibly, or you, maybe you can quantify from a sales standpoint, but you don't incorporate that in your cost of hiring. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so so I think it's uh, it's important for companies when thinking about hiring to to you know be smart about it and plan it and you know adopt the right approach to minimise the unseen costs of hiring. Yeah, and one interesting thing I've seen in the in this report is that, for example, um, R and D positions are 
for the second year in a row, the most in demand um, mm. um, in, in, the, in this industry. Yeah. And I was, um, I was wondering, uh, what do you think causes this trend? I think uh, there are two main drivers of this. On the one hand, we have a proliferation of um, uh, additive manufacturing startups developing new AM technologies who are soaking up the best and the brightest talent to help them develop their technology, their material, their software. So I think that that's the one side of it. Then on the other side of it, you've got this increasing adoption of the technology as a production technology within, you know, major industry. And, you know, these organizations also need this kind of R&D talent mm -hmm. to help them, you know, identify and nurture, you know, additive manufacturing as a technology within their organization um, so that they can leverage the benefits of the technology to um, develop new parts or products, reduce costs, um, you know, all of the different advantages that additive brings, this sort of talent can really help organizations to leverage that. So I think those are the two major driving forces behind why R&D remains uh, for the second year in a row, the most sought after, sought after roles. Yeah, and followed by that is um, operations and finance. Yeah. That's also an that's, interesting one. Yeah, I, I think it sort of points to the fact that as businesses are starting to scale up, um, the importance of having people who are running organizations efficiently, especially in times like this, where actually we've gone through a crisis, these types of professionals become very, very important. Um, you know, from a finance standpoint, managing cash is really, really critical during a crisis like this. Um, you know, so I think that that's probably one indicator of why finance might be, you know, a, an important part of an increasing organizational structure. But I think on the operations side, this sort of points to the fact that more businesses are, you know, adopting additive manufacturing into production workflows, you know, yeah. and need, you know, what you would call, you don't always need the really technical bright minds who are doing the really creative R&D work. You need people who are managing production facilities, who are overseeing, you know, the implementation and adoption as part of a wider sort of supply chain. So, you know, all, all of these um, sort of skills now are increasingly, um, increasingly sought after by, uh, by businesses in the industry. Mm -hmm. So we were, we jumped right in the middle of, of uh, the salary survey as a topic, but I thought we can also touch on the subject of what is a salary survey and from the perspective of someone who's building a team in additive, what's in it for me? Why should I read the salary survey? What does it give me? What kind of information what kind of benefit? Yeah. So uh, I think the, um, let's take a step back. What, <clears throat> what is the salary survey? So the salary survey now, and, you know, since we started it five years ago, is uh, an aggregation of data from individuals and organizations that highlight the salaries that they earn or they pay 
across uh, a cross section of roles. So sales, marketing, service, applications and consulting, R&D engineering and production uh, operations. And um, it covers three main geographies, uh, North America, um, uh, EMEA and Asia. And um, what does it tell you? Uh, it gives you what the minimum salary in a category is, what the maximum salary in a category is, and what the average salary in a category is. So uh, if you were, for example, an individual and you were an application engineer with two to five years experience, you could go to our salary survey. Um, let's say you're based in North America. You could go to our salary survey and you could see, you know, what would the average salary be for somebody with my experience? Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, if you're an employer, you could do the same. So let's say I'm an employer and I'm scaling up my team and I need to hire several positions globally, sales, applications, service, R&D, software. Um, and you know, I'm new, you know, may maybe I'm new to the industry. I'm an HR manager that doesn't have experience in additive manufacturing. It used to be that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can pick up the salary survey and you've got a benchmark, you know, that yeah. could form the basis of your own salary, um, salary, uh, salary guidelines. But furthermore, what is really, really useful within the salary survey for that, you know, growing or established business is the analysis that combines with it around motivations. So, yep. you know, yep. what are the key uh, drivers for candidates who are looking to change jobs? So you can feed that into your hiring process. So you can touch within the hiring process the things that are really driving and motivating candidates to change jobs. Uh, it talks about the reasons why, um, you know, or, or benefits, for example. Yeah. You know, what are the key benefits that candidates are looking for? So you could build your benefits package based around, you know, the guidance that the salary survey offers. And um, to this point, I would just like to add that in this report, you can also see what on the candidate side, what kind of benefits are are searched for preferred and what businesses offer and you see that there that there's a difference between them so this the salary survey also helps you kind of understand each other's way of thinking um, and to see what the what the other side is looking for and if you want to be the first uh, or the one who gets the best candidates, then it's a good way to inform yourself and, and, and just communicate from the start what is actually searched for in reality. Definitely. And then I think on the other side of it, retention is a really big um, factor. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's expensive to lose good people. And, yeah. you know, the salary survey can help you understand why somebody might want to leave an organization what motivations they might have to join somewhere else. And you can build, you know, retention and development plans based around some of the advice that's provided in the salary survey. So I think it's an invaluable resource for any HR professionals, recruiters, hiring managers in, you know, organizations growing or established within the additive manufacturing um, within the additive manufacturing landscape.
Yeah, I I remember that uh, my first contact with your business was through the salary survey. Yeah. Um, because I was that recruiter who didn't know the industry. So it helped me immensely. I remember I was like, oh my God, there's so much information. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and it really helped me. And it also opened the door to, to our collaboration at the time. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, that's four years already since yeah. we started working together. Crazy, no? Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, it's really useful, like you said, for, for anyone who's, who's growing a team. And this is yeah. also something that we do a bit differently, I would say, at Alexander Daniels Global. It's not just that we work on, on projects and positions to fill, but it's, we're looking at the business. We're looking to understand uh, the business goals because in reality, your business goals are your talent goals. And this is Absolutely. what, once someone understands this, then they have that competitive advantage that they're looking for so much. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and I think it's often um, overlooked by businesses, the importance that talent plays, you know, within their ability to be successful. Um, you know, so I think that the role that we play and it's always been our vision. You know, I think people have heard me talk about this, you know, along uh, many times through various different podcasts. You know, we, we're really passionate about the technology. You know, that comes from a belief that additive manufacturing will change people's lives. Um, you know, so it's our mission to enable that revolution through talent. And, and, and I do firmly believe um, that, you know, it, it is only through talent that this industry will continue to grow and thrive in the way that it has done for, for many years. And, um, you know, that, that, that excites me. And, and, you know, speaking to individuals every day, you know, who maybe have only been in the industry two or three years that just have so much passion, so much energy, so much to give, but also want to learn as well. You know, they're the sort of future of the, the industry. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of rewarding working with the organizations and individuals to sort of see how when you bring the right people to an organization, how that organization can really start to then, you know, grow. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and what, I'm, what I'm noticing more and more, just, just like you have these people who have this passion but also this capability to figure out things that haven't been figured out so far so I think any leader's job right now is to make sure that they have a learning organization mm -hmm. and it's a very complex thing it requires first of all from a leader from a CEO or a leader of a bigger team to have um, knowledge of themselves first of all and to understand human nature and how to do a dialogue. And a dialogue is very, very different from a discussion. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing here so many more elements. It's, these are not necessarily reflected in the salary survey, but through the through experiences like the companies where you have a good atmosphere, where you are motivated to learn and to experiment, they are somehow ahead of the others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think we see... And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, you know, why do companies, why do some companies scale and grow really fast? And why do some companies sort of stagnate and sort of slow down? 
And I mean, I would use probably a good example here. Um, uh, I mean, what, one of the, the, the companies that I think have done a fantastic job over the last sort of couple of years, where maybe in the, you know, two or three years prior to that, they uh, don't say they stagnated, but they were in the wilderness a little bit, mm-hmm. was SLM Solutions. You know, I think they announced earlier this week that their 2020 results would be, um, I think, almost 30%, 29% up year on year. So you've achieved a result like that in a global pandemic. You know, that, that, that's a phenomenal achievement. Um, and I think you just have to look at the leadership that that organization had over the last two years by um, Meda, the CEO, who, you know, took over an organization um, that I think had and always had a fantastic technology, um, you know, but were perhaps a little bit in the wilderness because they were without a CEO for a long time after the um, uh, acquisition attempt by GE. But then you bring in a, a strong and capable leader who surrounds himself with a strong management team creates a culture that really is driven towards a a vision and a goal and then you can achieve a performance like that and I think that that's just one example that I would cite but there are many more within this industry where you know strong leadership good culture clear vision strong values that is the recipe for success you know and it's it's amazing that perhaps not all CEOs and leaders, uh, you know, uh, are, are aware of, of, of that, you know, because it's, yeah. uh, hey, hey, look, we, we're oversimplifying. It isn't easy to create culture, to, you know, create shared vision and, you know, achieve that kind of excellence. Um, it takes a strong leader to be able to do that, that's for sure. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember that when I had the podcast with Marie Langer from, from EOS, yes. we talked quite a bit on the importance of coaching. Yes. That yeah. they have underwent a five-year-long coaching process um, to prepare her to take on, on this position um, and how, how important it is to really take these steps in your own life. And then because, and that brings me to my next step, because um, people talk about work-life balance, but I, I think there is just life. Yeah. And I just, I feel like I have to use, is, these are not my words. These are the words of my coach. Her name is Natasha Kazmir, and she's one of the founders of Wizair, or used to be, she's not, no longer there. She told me, Julia, there's no such thing as work-life balance. There's just life. Mm. And I couldn't agree more because what you do, what you bring from your personal life, you bring into your work as well. And they're just all interconnected. Yeah. And I wonder what, how you see this, Nick. Ah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I think um, I, I agree with the sentiment. I agree with the sentiment. But then uh, I look at uh, some examples and I think that... somebody that I uh, respect very highly talks about the pendulum of work and life and you know on the one side you have work and on the other side you have your home life family you know whatever it might be The, the, the two are connected but quite often the pendulum swings in one direction or another 
So, you know, at times you are so focused on work that you perhaps lose sight of, you know, home and family and home and family can suffer a little bit during that time. And, and I'm sure a lot of great leaders will appreciate that kind of sort of sentiment, you know, and, and then the pendulum can swing completely in the opposite direction because, you know, actually you've been so focused over here family and, and, and home life starts to suffer. So you have to kind of, uh, right, I've got to solve the, the biggest problem now, which is that. So the pendulum swings over here. And then sometimes, you know, problems can appear over here. And I, I've certainly felt that myself in, in my own life, um, you know, where perhaps sometimes, you know, the pendulum is more skewed to, to one side or another. Mm. I think very, very difficult and a very skilled leader that can keep the pendulum in balance mm -hmm. and you know and, and and this is where that term balance comes from you know they are so intertwined but you know too much to one way and one of them will suffer so you know finding that medium where you can be productive at work present and effective at home I think I think is hard and and, and I would I would argue that it's probably I mean, you'd have to ask coaches about this, but I suspect it's probably one of the number one topics that most leaders of organizations talk to about, talk with about their coaches, you know, is, is how can I be it an effective frequent. leader at work, but, you know, at the same time, still be, you know, a good father, wife, mother, um, you know, mm. all of those things. It is, it is quite a frequent topic. And um, just on, on this note a little um, more, because it, I find it extremely important uh, also in managing people and teams. Um, sometimes people uh, or, or leaders tend to adopt um, a certain kind of behavior at work, which is not very close to their true nature. And this is where people suffer. They start to suffer because every time when we are far away from our core, um, things start to happen, which want to push us back into our balance. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons that, that people do go to, to coaches or therapists is to restore that, that sort of balance. And, and this is where this idea comes from that there's only life, meaning that yeah. who I am, who I truly am, like, do I know who I truly am? And I bring that, that love for life, that love for people at home, uh, at work. Um, yeah. And that just creates a completely different atmosphere. And I think what's a really nice uh, thing for leadership to experience is that they are so respected and actually loved by people when they are themselves yes. in many cases, yeah. and in many cases not. So yeah. it's like very, very individual. Yeah, but definitely. we have also a very exciting number here in the salary survey on the work-life yeah. balance topic. There's a 31% decrease in the importance of work-life balance compared to other years. And this is again important. In this salary survey, you will see data from 2017, 18, 19, and 20, and you can compare and you can see how all these things have been changing in the industry. Yeah. And this, this decrease, I think, is because people were working from home so much. It could be. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's just yeah, a, it's just an assumption. Obviously, it's an interpretation of the data, but yeah, I, I think last year what we saw was, and this is where that 
comment that you make about it, there's just life um, becomes even more true because, you know, last year people were working from home and your work was at home and your life is at home. And, you know, how many times have people been on Zoom calls and you sort of see the hand, you know, (laughs) being you know because there's a small child or an animal or something you know entering the room um you know so it it really did blur the boundaries last year for many people between what work and what what life was um but I think people adapted really quickly to that and and I think you know organizations adapted quickly to that and and actually I think what what we saw and 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 I think some people probably thrive on that and, and there's evidence of this in the survey as well around, you know, sort of people who, you know, actually feel it's good to work from home. And there are some that felt it was, you know, not as good to work from home. And there's data on that in, in the survey. Um, but, um, you know, I think for some roles, uh, working from home is easy to do. Mine, for example, you know, what we do, we can do that from anywhere in the world, truly. Um, you know, but, you know, if I'm an engineer, if I'm an R&D engineer, um, you know, working on big metal additive manufacturing machines, well, I can't be doing that from home. You can't do uh, that from your living room. <laughs> you can't be doing that no. from your living room. And no. You need a pretty big garden shed as well. So, uh, you know, not to mention all the health and safety risks around that. So, yeah. so that for some people, it would have been difficult, um, you know, and, and impossible. Um, you know, but for others, actually, it was probably quite easy to to adapt to that. I think it is hard. And again, I'll speak from sort of personal experience here, you know, going into an office or going to work, um, you can create a sort of psychological barrier between the two. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for some people, that's important. You know, if you work in a stressful job, um, what you don't want to do is kind of bring that stress back into your household. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and for a lot of people, the commute to work is a way to kind of ready the mind for the day at work. Mm. And the commute home is the way to decompress so that when you walk through the door, you don't bring any of the troubles of work home with you. And, and I think that that is a challenge that home working probably, you know, hasn't quite solved yet, um, you know, and for individuals trying to overcome that, that that could present a, a challenge to their home life. Um, you know, so I, I certainly sort of see that. You know, I quite liked my commute into the office because I could. I'd listen to business podcasts on yeah. the way in yeah. and then on the way home, I'd listen to, you know, kind of um, books. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd listen to books. So I actually feel like I'm I have less time for my own learning now mm-hmm. because I don't have my kind of hour and a half to two hours of commuting a day, which was my time. You yeah. know, like, you know, nobody with me, just me in the car being able to sort of listen to things that stimulated and educated me. Um, you know, so I think that that's one thing that I miss and maybe other people might miss as well. Yeah, I think it's important to appreciate the fact that we are very different and we work very differently. We work well very differently. Yes. For instance, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't work well in an open office space because I'm easily distracted. And having a quiet room 
uh, and not having to go from A to B is what works well for me. I've learned, yeah. but it's so everyone has to figure it out for themselves and yeah. just let people do work like they, they can do it best and trust that they do it. And I think that's, it's an important point for people also in HR or hiring managers that we're yeah, not I the mean, same. We're not we the don't same. have to be the same. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. That's our advantage that we're not yeah. the same. Yeah. But I think I think looking at it, I think businesses adapted very quickly, though. I mean, another one of our clients who are a young startup company, you know, had, you know, worked hard to create culture, you know, worked hard to create, you know, the kind of young dynamic startup culture that, you know, lots of people aspire to and, you know, want mm -hmm. to work in, um, you know, and, and they've now moved to. Uh, a kind of 80 20 um, sort of model where you work from home 80% you know you may be in the office 20% and they've been able to sort of do that seamlessly um, without so far affecting the culture that they've got you know not all organizations will have been able to adapt as quickly you know to that um, and, and I wonder and, and I think this might uh might be borne out sort of in some years when we start to kind of look at how this uh, moves forward but if you've got you know young people who are perhaps more um wouldn't say tech savvy but but more comfortable operating in a kind of digitally remote way mm -hmm. whether it's actually easier to maintain and instill you know a company culture in an organization in a remote way where you have a younger demographic whereas perhaps where you've got you know perhaps a slightly older demographic whether it's harder to implement you know culture and maintain culture in a more digital remote way i think that's something that would probably be worth um sort of looking into in in more detail or or understanding um, because i mean that's one of the downsides of you know remote working um, is culture you know how do you create and foster a culture where you know people aren't in the same office you know how do you stimulate the water cooler moments when people yeah. aren't in the office yeah. you know, these sorts of things is uh, the things that might suffer as a result of um, this new working uh, environment that we find ourselves in yeah, and I know that a lot of managers were not prepared for this um, to manage a team remotely. I know that just a step, for instance, that you become a manager of a team is already something that a person needs to learn, adapt to if you're a first-time manager. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you are a first-time manager and then everyone goes home. And then you have this this um, maybe stress or even anxiety because you have this responsibility, but you have to manage a team. How do you do that? So there are just like a lot of very very um, exciting topics that that one can one can look at and just become aware and see that others are also kind of dealing with that and there are solutions and there's good help available. Definitely to overcome. Definitely these points yeah so i think the salary survey is excellent for anyone working in hr i mean i've i've done that on the client side i can tell you firsthand it helped me a lot having so much data right now 
is and comparing, being able to compare data, I think is what can also support HR people in becoming true business partners. Because I know that in many cases they're considered back office admin, whatever, but in this case, you can help make good business decisions and help leadership understand that their business goals are their talent goals. Mm -hmm. So for HR people from this perspective, for hiring managers, really good to understand the same thing, also how salaries look like, uh, just get a bit of awareness how uh, recruiting the great talent looks like in additive. Um, and if you're a candidate, you can, you can uh, get more information around um, your job, uh, your profession, um, in different geographic regions, what it looks like, what it's right now. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, for, for candidates, I think a lot of people use it because they want to know, am I being paid fairly where I am? You know, so, uh, so you know, I think for, for them, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good indicator as to, you know, is my current employer compensating me fairly? And um, if they're not, then um, maybe they'll uh, get in touch with us to help them find a new role. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's important for organisations from that perspective because it gives you that guide then to ensure that you retain your best people by paying them what they're worth. Exactly. And yeah. it's much more than that. And this is, again, a point to look at what motivates people yeah. I won't tell this data you have to download the salary survey to yeah. know it, but it's also interesting to see what's the main motivator and it's yeah. not salary. So no. <laughs> I won't tell what it is. <laughs> so yeah. one important thing, the salary survey is free. You can yeah. download it for free. You just have to subscribe, uh, register on, on the link, which we will share under this video. Yeah. Um, and once you downloaded it, you can read it. And we encourage you to get in touch with us to have a conversation about it. Um, and if you want to build your team, we're the right people for that. So yeah. get in touch with us. We're happy to talk. We, we definitely welcome feedback on the salary survey because we're yes. always looking at ways we can improve it. We definitely welcome any questions that it raises for companies or individuals as well, in particular for companies. Um, you know, one of the limitations that we identify with the salary survey is that it is quite broad geographical regions. And within that, there are some distinct and unique differences. It is very different hiring in Boston versus Pittsburgh. That isn't covered in the salary survey explicitly. Yeah. So, you know, if you have more, you know, kind of, market geographic specific requirements we can help you with that um so uh, yeah i think that there's perhaps a lot in there but if there are questions that aren't answered yeah we would love to help and discuss that with uh, with you thank you nick no thank as you. always great to talk to you yeah it's been good it's been good and thank it's you. Good. I'm, I was, uh, it was good to read the salary survey also for me. It's, it's great material. Happy. I'm yeah. proud. I feel proud. Yeah, me too. You know, <laughs> one and every year it gets better and better. And I just, yeah, I, I, I know that uh, next year, you know, we're going to have to work really hard to improve upon this year's, but that keeps pushing us, uh, pushing us forward. Yes, and thank you so much for everyone who contributed to filling out the survey. Without you, the survey would not exist. And 
And just want to say it again out loud. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and also, I think just briefly to Marie Langer for her comments and uh, Hugo De Silva uh, from DSM for, for his comments. Uh, you know, they're experts in the industry, um, you know, who uh, are trusted and respected. Uh, I think it's interesting. You can see their thoughts on what 2021 might look like as well in the uh, in the survey. Yeah. Thank you so much. Good. Good. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Alexander Daniels Global. My name is Julia Oprea and I'm your host. I'm also the director of Europe at 80 Global. Follow our page on LinkedIn to get the latest updates about job opportunities and news from the additive manufacturing industry from the US and Europe. If you have any feedback or questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Thank you. Bye-bye.